Good morning and welcome back. Yesterday, during our Devo time, we learned that there was a power struggle in the church at Corinth. Factions were dividing the church, which meant it was unable to be faithful to its calling. Paul reminded them that the church's power was found in the preaching of the cross of Christ, not in worldly expressions of power. Today, Paul will expand on that theme. I want to remind us that everything Paul is saying in these verses is ultimately connected to his desire that they have the mind of Christ. Listen now as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18-25. Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul reminds them that the foundation of their faith is the word of the cross. That is, the death of Christ, who was God, was an atonement for sin. To the world, this message is folly. Today, we are comfortable wearing a cross as a symbol of our faith. But in the ancient world, the cross was an instrument of execution that was designed to not only kill, but to torture and humiliate the victim. To the Roman world, Jesus Christ was a criminal who got what he deserved. To the Jews, he was a blasphemer, a mere man who claimed to be God. And to add insult to injury, according to their expectation, he was a failed Messiah, dying instead of conquering. But the same message that is folly to the world is in reality the power of God. If we were at the cross on the day of Christ's death, we might have found it hard to believe that we were witnessing the most awesome display of God's power, the most awesome display of God's power that the world has ever seen. Martin Luther talks of God's power being hidden in the cross. And he's right. But at the cross... God crushed the head of Satan and overcame both sin and death. That is real power. Paul then goes on to quote from Isaiah chapter 29 to emphasize his point. God will destroy the wisdom of the wise and thwart the discernment of the discerning. He then asks four questions to further emphasize his point. He shows that those deemed wise by the world, the scribe and the debater of this age, are unable to comprehend the wisdom of God. Paul then offers a conclusion of sorts in saying that man in his wisdom could not come to know God, so God used what appears foolish, the preached word of the cross, to save those that would believe. I think it would be good at this point to try and establish some principles that will help us better comprehend what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that man is absolutely incapable of knowing anything truly, or that he is utterly incapable of any kind of wisdom. 
Man, after all, is created in the image of God. And Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The law is written on the unbeliever's heart, and their conscience bears witness to the truth, even though they don't have the law. So clearly, Paul is not saying in 1 Corinthians that unbelievers have absolutely no access to the truth. And to add to that, in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, he reveals that man, unbelieving man, knows a great deal about God, even though he suppresses that truth and unrighteousness. Paul writes, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Another principle derived from Paul's teaching is that the wisdom of man could never conceive of salvation in the way that God actually saved. All other world religions declare what the sinner must do to appease the gods and earn salvation. Salvation by grace through faith is utterly inconsistent with the wisdom of man. That is why Paul put forth the gospel as the power of God. What man could not conceive of, what man could not accomplish, God did and revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Another principle to be derived from Paul's teaching is that the wisdom of man cannot produce the kind of life that honors God. In fact, it is often the case that what man honors as important and worthy of respect is utter, utterly contrary to the kind of life God honors and the kind of life that brings honor to God. The Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount are a perfect example of this. The world seeks comfort and amusement, entertainment, and distraction. But Jesus says that those who mourn will be comforted. The world seeks power through brute force or intimidation. But Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. The world thrives on animosity and discontent. But Jesus says that the peacemakers are the ones who are called the sons of God. Having the mind of Christ does not mean hiding from the world or assuming that we cannot learn anything from them. We are a classical school, after all, and as such recognize the value of the collected wisdom produced by those who did not know of or call upon the name of Jesus. It does, however, view the wisdom through the lens of Scripture and does not fall prey to the temptation of thinking and acting like the world thinks and acts. Paul concludes this section by saying that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Clearly, Paul is not claiming that God is either foolish or weak, but he is revealing that if it were possible for God to be foolish, even in his foolishness, he would surpass man's greatest wisdom.
The question becomes, do we take God at his word? Do we believe that his promises are true and that he understands what we need and that he understands how the world really works? Wisdom tries to explain how the world really works. Are we going to believe the world in its wisdom or are we going to believe the wisdom of God? And if we do, are we going to think like he thinks and live the way he commands us to live? This is what it means to have the mind of Christ. Today, I'm going to close by praying specifically for our alumni. Many of them are in college and trying to navigate the challenges of COVID-19 as we are here at Geneva, while others are out in the world where they have been called to be salt and light. We desire that God will use them for his kingdom and for his glory. And when I finish praying, I encourage you to go to the GSB Morning Devotional Hymn Playlist and listen to the hymn, In Christ Alone. Join me as we pray. Father, I thank you for all of those students who have graduated from the Geneva School of Bernie. I pray for those who are in college who are dealing with uh, online classes and uh, restrictions because of COVID. I pray that you would bless their time, that you would bless their education, and that even in the midst of this difficulty, they would find joy and peace. And I thank you for those graduates who have also graduated from college. I know that you have called many of them out into the world to serve your kingdom and to bring you glory in all that they do. I pray that you would equip them for that task. Father, we thank you for this day. We dedicate it to you and ask your blessing upon it. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.